Bible says that the seed and the sower, the birds of the air, kind of steal the seed. And it's speaking of the enemy. And Lord, we just bind that right now. The enemy will not steal the seed of the word of God, but your word will go forth. The Bible promises and accomplish that which you sent it forth to do. In Jesus' mighty name. So we bless you, Lord, and thank you for it now. All right, we're dealing with part 16. This is going to be a series, I think, like, I don't know if you guys know who Tim Hawkins is. Yeah, he was making fun of preachers that have really long series. Well, this is going to be one of those, all right? There may be a part 113, I don't know. We're dealing with end-time prophecy, so, you know, i got to take a little at a time. Just make sure, you know, people like Ed get it, you know, just take it slow. <laughs> All right. Part 16, it is seven degrees of seduction. But y'all give me your best here tonight. Those that are River of Life folk especially, because I really want you to hear this tonight. You need to hear this. I honestly haven't preached along these lines in a long time. It's been years. But I felt tonight to deal with it, deals a little bit with spiritual warfare, and some things to just be aware of. And I wish everybody could be here tonight to hear it, but I realize not everybody can always make it. But anyway... I was had lunch with a pastor friend of mine the other day, and he's been here in the Dallas area since the 80s, and I was just talking to him about revival, and I was talking to him about how back in the 90s, God was moving so powerful, and in the Dallas area, there were, there were little, you know, moves of God at the time, but it never really, the move of God never really exploded into the fullness of everything that it could have, and not only that, but there's just... If you look at the history of this area, there's, there's a lot that has been here that's been resisting, not only the move of God, but resisting powerful churches and powerful ministries. Going back to the 80s, I could name off the top of my head, I don't want to do that because I don't want to say their name in this context, but I could name several ministries that have been really, really attacked in this area and even some of them destroyed. So this is not an easy area, okay? And we need to be aware of some of the things going on. And one of the things he told me as I was talking to him, again, this is a, a man of God that's, um, he's been in the ministry for, I'm, I'm guessing, probably around 40 years or plus. And he's been in Dallas since the 80s, so several years here. And he said this about this area. He said that there is, he believes there is a seducing spirit over the churches of this region. And that, that seducing spirit is trying to keep them lukewarm and asleep. I would agree with that. There's pretty much no doubt. So as I go into this, I'm going to just kind of lay some groundwork. You know, I know you guys are aware of my wife's testimony. And because of that, we know some people that have come to us that have come out of some pretty dark stuff. And been able to, my wife's been able to lead them to the Lord I have too we've been able to minister to them and so when I talk about this next area here I'm, I'm we know from experience and from people directly that this is actually quite common but anyway there was a woman I want you to be aware of what goes on in church because I think that some people um, bless their heart you know I wish that we did live in a little bubble and you know nothing went on I mean I wish churches were that way they were just 
the safest place on earth and none of this stuff went on, but it's not that way. And how many knows we need to read our Bibles? Amen. And we need to know what's actually going on. But there was a particular woman that was trained. Now, she became a Christian later on. And I'm going to tell of some other people I know of as well. But this particular woman became a Christian later on. And she was a Satanist for many years. And she was actually forced into it. Now, Jesus will not force anybody to do anything, but the devil will if he can. And so she was forced into it. But over time, she got caught up in it very deep totally demonized I mean just given over but when she was in that realm now all of it was very secretive and she was trained very carefully and meticulously of how to infiltrate churches now let me switch to a completely different woman about this my wife and I had the opportunity to minister to a woman in East Texas she now is relocated and lives somewhere here in the metroplex i don't want to say where you know but we do keep up with her son really sweet lady but she was raised we know this lady personally she was raised her whole family was deeply involved in satanism let me tell you a little bit about this she um the people that were involved in satanism in this particular town okay there was several people but one of them was one of the police officers and another person in that group was a doctor in the local hospital there. And she would do kind of off-the-record stuff, specifically that I was told by this lady that, you know, let's say that somebody got pregnant and that child was going to, you know, be sacrificed to the devil. And I hate having to talk about this stuff, but it does go on, that um, she would, you know, do this off the record make sure the baby was born it was never recorded therefore nobody ever knew and the person that was pregnant would just kind of be in seclusion for the nine months and so these horrible things do go on and this was not far from here and there was several other people involved in this group well this lady thought because she was told her whole life that because both of her parents were satanist and she was dedicated to the devil and all of that she really believed that she could not be saved even if she wanted to be because that's what she was told. Well, whenever she heard my wife's testimony, she realized, hey, wait a second, you know, there might be hope yet. And so she, she found my wife and began to talk to her, and she gave her life to Jesus. It was, it was listen, she, this was a very real, very real conversion because her family, and they were not joking around, okay, they had the means, and they had people that could have pulled this off. Okay, they had, one of them, for example, was a police officer. They, they threatened that they would kill her, physically kill her. Okay? And so she had to go pretty much into hiding. She was afraid for her life. Of course, being a baby Christian, she didn't have, any, you know, she didn't have this relationship with the Lord of great faith and all of that. So you know, she really depended a lot on my wife and myself at the time. So they, they were not joking around. And my wife knew that she needed a lot of deliverance. She had given her life to the Lord. She was very sincere. I mean, how many knows when you know that your life is threatened and people are out to kill you, that if you give your life to Jesus, that it's going to be a sincere conversion, okay? So she was extremely sincere about it, and she wanted to get water baptized. She was water baptized, but she was still very tormented 
And she knew, my wife knew as well, that she still needed some deliverance. Uh, this is actually, I'm telling you firsthand, and I'm going somewhere with this story. But her assignment when she served the enemy was this. She was trained specifically to pretend to be a Christian and go to churches. And in the churches to how you could hinder what's going on and kind of destroy the church from the inside. That's what she was trained. And believe it or not, they, they have training for these sort of things, okay? It's like in church here, we would have training for, okay, we're going to train you guys in evangelism tonight, or right, we're going to teach you how to witness to people. And we have these, these training courses. Well, they have training courses as well. So that's what she was trained to do. Anyway, when she accepted Christ, she gave her life to Jesus. She, she was water baptized, but she still felt she needed deliverance. And this is where actually my parents just happened to go to the church that this happened at so they can verify this story. So my, my wife takes her to this church. It was a Pentecostal church. This was actually brought before my wife and I got married, and I wasn't there at the time. But took this lady there, and the preacher walked through and was praying for people. And this is one of those older-fashioned Pentecostal churches. And he had his Bible, and he just, you know, he felt there was something there. And as soon as he prayed for that lady, she flew backward in the air, started manifesting demons. And uh, they were cussing like a sailor, you know, <laughs> everything else that demons do. It wasn't a pretty sight. Let me tell you, if we want biblical Book of Acts Christianity, you're going to get, o get over this stuff, all right? Because Jesus ministered to these people, amen? So anyway, she's on the ground, and it took like several grown men to hold her down. As a matter of fact, people that were there, and they can testify to this, that she's this little lady, she's not very big, but she was lifting grown men off the ground, and her arm would come back down like that. Well, some of the wimpy sissy Christians, that I hope that they hear me say that, uh, that were scared of that, they all went out in the foyer, and started talking about how they didn't want that stuff going on in their church or whatever, and that ticks me off. They better not talk to me about it because I have something to say. But anyway, she, she needed deliverance, and that pastor was a man of God that, that stood there and took authority over those things, and they came out of her. I believe there's around 16, 17 demons that left her that night. So praise God, she got delivered, amen? So she began a long journey of really getting a healing, and freedom and victory and the last I heard she went through a, a powerful course with, with a really spirit-filled ministry and now she's being used of God kind of like my wife giving her testimony and, and ministering in the body of Christ so it's a it's a powerful story it really is and we're really thankful for her but I remember as I was talking with her I had read about and I knew about this business of people coming to church trying to cause problems and all that I knew that that went on and there's many other stories. I know, for example, when Rodney Howard Brown began to have powerful revivals back in the 90s, that there was, there was witches and people that came to the meetings. And he didn't, he didn't know that that was going on, and, and he was praying for people. But these, these people were wanting to go through and pray for people as well. And so when he found out that was going on, he kind of had a rule that stands to this day. If you go to his meetings, you know, he's like, nobody prays for anybody but me you know and he'll line everybody up and pray for everybody it's really powerful but that's why he does that and i know for example at the brownsville revival they were pretty close to new orleans and i've been to new orleans i have friends from new orleans i went to bible school with some crazy guy from new orleans you know he's always bringing back some shrimp and crawfish and stuff he's really good he got me he got me liking the uh, cajun food you know 
But how many knows there's some weird stuff in New Orleans, all right? And they had people coming into the Brownsville Revival. Here they are going after God, going after souls, and seeing all these people saved. And, you know, they saw over a million people give their lives to Christ, I believe. That's a safe estimate. But all the time this revival's going on, there's these little creepy witches and people coming in, and they'd be back there in the back, you know, with their little rattles, you know, <laughs> trying to curse the pastor and curse the church. They actually made a voodoo doll. Uh, Pastor Kilpatrick, there's a video of him cutting it up, you know, and they blast the shofar and broke that curse or whatever. But just so you know, this stuff does go on, and we need to be aware of it, okay, because there's not a lot of pulpits out there, I think, that will address these things. But it is in the Bible. As a matter of fact, in Acts, I believe it's chapter 20, the Apostle Paul was addressing Christians, and he told them, he said, I know that when I leave, there's going to be ravenous wolves that come in, and they, they're not going to spare the flock. They're going to try to ravage the flock, okay? And how many knows Jesus said that there would be wolves in sheep's clothing that would come in among the people? So I'm saying all that to say this. Just because you're in church doesn't mean that you need to trust everybody and everything going on. Amen? Not everybody that comes through the door is a Christian. And even those that call themselves Christians, some of them are very, very far away from God in their own walk. And they're not spiritually where they need to be at all. So, here's some things that different people that's come out of that world that has talked about being trained to destroy churches. Here's some things that they try to do. Number one, they try to pretend to be a Christian so that nobody will challenge them. Because once they say a prayer and pretend to be a Christian, most churches, that's good enough, isn't it? Nobody's going to challenge that. But here's the fallacy with that. Jesus said you'll know a tree by its fruit. Now, that's the problem I have right there. Because it's not about how people talk. Because some people are really good at talking, and they know really well about how to present themselves a certain way. But in actual fact, when you look at their life, the fruit of their life is a far cry from what their mouth is saying. And Jesus said to look at the fruit. Number two, they try to build credibility in a church by, you know, they'll be really frequent in their church attendance. They may be big givers in the church or they really want to get involved. And so as they do that, they're trying to get involved. And I'm going to tell you a good book to read. John Paul Jackson wrote a book called Exposing the Jezebel Spirit, and he actually dealt with some of this stuff in that book as well, where people that came into churches and caused a lot of problems. How many of you guys have read that book? Isn't that amazing? Several people. But anyway, they try to build credibility in the church. And whenever people are coming to everything, they're big givers, they're real involved, you know, a lot of people will just assume that they're really good Christians and on fire for God, but that's not always the case. They also want to befriend and hang out with key leaders. Hello? They want to befriend and hang out with key leaders. And I'm going to tell you one of their number one priorities is to destroy prayer and get prayer out of church. Remember that. If there's ever a person that really is trying somehow to get corporate prayer out of the church, that should be a pretty big red flag right there. Because God said, well, Jesus said, I will, your house will be a house of prayer. Didn't he? For all nations, he wants God's house, his father's house, 
to be a house of prayer. Another thing that they'll do, and this is something that is actually in the book I read and also from the people we talked to, but they'll try to spread rumors and try to discredit leaders. You know, most Christians, unfortunately, even though it's so clearly in the Bible, they will still listen to and spread gossip. Isn't that something? But anyway, that's something that they'll try to do is to spread rumors to discredit leaders and cause problems. Now, here's the three areas that they want to worm their, their way into. Number one is they want to worm their way into teaching positions where they can teach false doctrine. Number two, they want to worm their way into positions of leadership so that they can make decisions regarding the church. Now, I'm going to tell you something. Just based on what I know, I would not be surprised if there's not churches in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex that don't have people that are elders and board members that aren't exactly what I'm talking about because nobody's challenging it. Nobody's examining the fruit. They're big givers. They're, you know, they come to everything, but they want to worm their way into leadership so they can determine the course of the church and, and they can have a vote and a say on how things are going to go. And number three, they want to worm their way into positions of laying hands on others. Now, how many of you guys would love to have those type of people laying hands on you and praying over you? Any takers? No, because why? You don't want what they got. That's why churches need to be vigilant, making sure that there's things in place that those that are coming into leadership positions, teaching positions, positions of praying for others, things like that, that there is some accountability and there is a process of examination there that's going to weed out those type of people. Amen? Another thing they try to do, and I'm just going from research of what has been told here, but they want to break up family units. And one of the goals there was to always have you know, like the youth over here, the children over here, the wife over here, the husband over here, and all these different ministries. But there is a place for other ministries, but there's also a place for all of us coming together and worship. And that's important in church, and that's something I've always really loved and been pleasantly surprised in River of Life how much of a family it really is because there's no young or old, there's no division of any kind. It's just a, a loving family. Another thing they want to do is stop all accurate teaching about Satan that exposes him and exposes his works. Because why? Because whenever we expose the enemy, he loses his power and people are set free. Right? And so he doesn't want people teaching in a way that's going to expose him like I'm doing right now and get people set free. Another thing that happens is this just straight-up direct attacks where people are praying against churches and praying against leaders, and that can really be oppressive. Now, let me tell you this. I firmly believe this. I was involved. I was on staff. I wasn't on staff, actually. I'm sorry. I was in leadership with a very, very large church back several years ago in the Dallas-Fort Worth Metroplex. Powerful church. But I remember as... It was growing really fast. People were just simply being allowed in, to be in leadership because the need was there. 
I felt very, I felt in my spirit that something was off and that some people were coming in that needed to not just be flung into leadership real quick. They needed to examine these people, okay? And that was not going on. I mean, it was just anything goes. And I watched as they allowed people just to come in and do all this. And pretty soon, the powerful prayer meetings were put to the side. And then before too long, they were completely gone. I wasn't involved in the highest leadership where the decisions like that were made, but I was involved. And I watched as that happened. And I watched as there was a real oppressive presence come into that church where once there was life and the praise and worship was full of uh, the power of God and people could really be free. And it, it was the presence of God was amazing. I mean, it was really strong. It, once that was there but now it seemed like there was something that was heavy over that church where it was hard to even pray it was hard to worship it was hard to even be there you felt uncomfortable then I watched as the pastor got deathly sick and the spiritual people began to leave and before too terribly long the church went down to almost nothing and I, I'm not even sure it even exists today but this is what happens when you don't have any checks and balances and people can just come in and there's nothing there to screen what's going on. Now, let me say this as well, though, because it's not just with people like that that are deliberate. There's also people that may be Christians, but they're baby Christians. And they don't mean to, but they're still used of the devil to cause a lot of problems in churches. Amen? So these are not necessarily people that are deliberate, but they allow the devil to use them. And that's why the Bible says to put on the full armor of God. The Bible says to renew your mind, okay? And that we need to examine everything with the scripture. So if we know what the Bible says, then we're not gonna be doing the things that they're doing by going around running people down and splitting up relationships and opposing leadership and being rebellious. That's not gonna happen because the Bible is so clear about it. So we've got to renew our minds and live in a way that's not going to cause these problems. So why is it important that we know about these things? Because not everybody that comes in the doors needs to stick around. I've had times where I felt, uh, it, that, you know, I never said anything to you guys, but there was one prayer night, I don't know, it was quite a while back, but this particular person came was talking to me and I and I left there and the Holy Spirit spoke to me as clear as I've ever heard him and the Holy Spirit told me said I did not send him to you and I told my wife about that I said okay so I prayed about it. I said Lord if he's supposed to stay let him stay but if he's not you need to get rid of him whatever I never saw the man again it just he's gone but let me tell you something I believe that the power when we take communion like we do I believe the power of that also is helping to purge out things that don't need to be going on but let me tell you a quick story Richard Crisco was the youth pastor at Brownsville and I've been recently going back through some of his stuff and uh, this stuck out to me he said for years he was at a church before Brownsville and for years he picked up several kids you know but there was this particular young lady that he would pick up to for church every week for years and years and years and years and she single-handedly 
ran off around 70 people or so out of his youth group at the time where he youth pastored. Single-handedly ran them off. And he would pray, say, Lord, if I don't reach her, who will? If I don't pick her up, who will? If I don't reach out to her in love and try to help her, nobody else is going to. And so he had this heart for her, you know. And he kept bringing her, kept bringing her. She just kept running people off, kept causing problems. Came on. And did you know he said he learned from that mistake because of this right here. He came back many years later, and he saw that young lady. And to this day, years after the fact, she was still not living for God at all. And none of the people she ran off were either. Did y'all catch that? So one bad apple can cause a lot of problems for a lot of people. And I've had to deal with some of that stuff. It's hard. It's hard to deal because you love people, you care about people, you don't want things like to happen like that. You don't have to say things. But as a leader, you have to love God more. Amen? And you have to be willing to keep things right with God and keep things in order. And sometimes you're going to have to deal with sin in the camp and deal with people. And, and you all know me. That I love, I love God more than I love people. And so I will do that. And I have done that. So let me get off of that now. I just want you to understand that as we start going into what we're praying about, because it is coming. <laughs> and I believe revival's coming to this region and revival's coming to this nation. But as this happens, I want you to be aware that not every person that, you know, comes through the doors of a church need to be trusted. And not every person that comes to church needs to stick around. All right. Let me give you some scriptures and go ahead and get into. God gave me this this week. I mean, I was going to preach on the Antichrist and the Ten Kingdoms. But First Timothy 4.1, now I'm going to shift gears here. It says, the Spirit explicitly says that in the latter times some will fall away from the faith, abandon the faith, paying attention to deceitful spirits and doctrines of demons. Deceitful spirits can be translated seducing spirits. But it's interesting because the Bible says clearly that in the latter days that we're living right now, there will be people that fall away from the faith. These are people that were Christians. These were people that went to church. And now they're no longer Christians. They're no longer going to church. They're away from God. They fell away from the faith. Somehow, they listened to a seducing, deceiving spirit and doctrines of demons. That's what the Bible says. It also says in 2 Thessalonians 2, 3, Let no one in any way deceive you, for it will not come unless the apostasy... Some translations say the falling away. Other translations say the rebellion comes first. And the man of lawlessness, which is the Antichrist, is revealed the son of destruction or the son of perdition. So it clearly says in the scriptures that there are going to be some, before the Lord comes, there's going to be a falling away. The Greek word there is apostasia. That's why they say apostasy in this translation, but the Greek word is apostasia. But you got to understand what an apostate is because most people don't use the word apostate every day. Okay? What an apostate is, is somebody that walked with Jesus for a time. But at some given time, they renounced Jesus Christ and they turned their back on him 
and they forsake him. That's an apostate. That is the definition of an apostate. And the Bible says right here, let no one deceive you because it will not come unless the apostasia comes first. So before Jesus comes, there's going to be this great falling away. And friend, we're seeing it right now. Every one of you know of people that at one time claimed to be Christians and went to church and gave their lives to Christ that are now, you know, renouncing Christianity. Now they're a Muslim. Now they're a Buddhist. Now they're a witch. Now they're an atheist. Now they're, you know, a homosexual, whatever. They've given up on Christ. It's the great falling away. Why? Because Jesus is not going to play the games of hypocrisy. I love what Derek Prince said. He said, when revival comes, the very first thing that God will do is he will electrify the fence. So every hypocrite that's been riding the fence, all right, every hypocrite that's been wanting one leg in, in the kingdom and one leg out here with Satan or whatever, and they've been playing games riding the fence, the Lord's going to turn on the electricity. He's going to fry their little hiney a little bit, and they're going to choose who they're going to serve. They're either going to jump over here with Jesus or jump over there with the devil, and that's exactly what's going on. God's not going to put up with the hypocrisy in the games anymore. And it grieves me because I know, I know people that used to, to love the Lord and, and serve God and live for him, but maybe, like I talked about earlier, there was a bad apple that got a hold of them. Amen? But something happened. 2 Corinthians 11.3, Paul said this, but I'm afraid that as the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, that your minds will be led astray from the simplicity and the purity of devotion to Christ. And then Ephesians 6.16 says this, in addition to all this, taking up the shield of faith with which you are able to extinguish all the flaming arrows or the fiery darts of the evil one. So there's going to be these, the Bible says it, I mean, I just read it to you, there's going to be these seducing spirits, these doctrines of demons in the last days that we're living, and they're out there now. We see them now. And we're going to have to be rooted and established in the faith where we're not able, like the serpent deceived Eve by his craftiness, to have our minds led astray. We're going to have to understand that there's going to have to be some maturity in putting on the armor of God, the helmet of salvation, the breastplate, to where we can extinguish and put out these fiery arrows, these darts that the enemy is shooting against people of deception in their minds. I remember one time before there was this particular church, and there was, it was about to really a difficult time it was going into. And there was this particular person, and he was hanging around the wrong people. I, I witnessed this for myself. And every once in a while, God will show me something, you know, just like he shows you. And I saw in this person, it was the craziest vision, but I saw in his mind that there was like these little black spots, these little black seeds in his mind where he was listening to the wrong people. He was listening to people that were against that church and against the preacher, etc. And I tried to warn him. I told him, I said, man, I'm telling you, you need to not listen to those people. You need to be careful 
those, I see something in your mind that you've been listening to people. And this person, I've been able to talk to this person before that, and he always listened. But this time, it was like the enemy was drawing back those arrows and shooting them into his mind. And he was, inter instead of rebuking those thoughts, he was entertaining those thoughts. And he wasn't discerning the spirit behind it. Next thing you know, the devil really used him and others to cause major problems in that church. But you got to be careful who you're listening to. All right, so here's seven degrees of seduction. Number one, the deception, the seduction. When I'm using this word, it's I'm getting it from 1 Timothy 4.1, that they would be seducing or deceiving spirits in the last days. So here's some areas of seduction. Number one is humanism, atheism, and agnosticism. The seduction there where people are going to simply not believe that there is any type of intellectual design, any type of a creator. We all just happened, you know. The dumbest thing. It takes more faith by far to believe in that <laughs> than it does. But, you know, arrogant people. And the Bible says this. It says, you stiff-necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You're just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. And Psalms 14 verse 1 says, The fool has said in his heart there is no God. Let me tell you, you can resist the Holy Spirit. Let me give you some stories because I want to strengthen your faith as we're going through this tonight. This is, if you follow me, this is an amazing story. So revival fell at Brownsville. It, you guys know about this revival. It's been on my heart lately. And the Spirit of God came into that church so powerful to the degree that little children, and how many of you guys have been around little kids very much? You know they have the attention span of a squirrel maybe, <laughs> that you can't get them to really focus. The power of God was so strong in these revivals that these little children would be maybe in prayer and intercession or hit by the power of God on the ground for hours, and that's not an exaggeration. So let me tell you a quick story. So at the revival, and I'm, I'm tying this into this point here, there was this particular night that the children's pastor was walking by and he saw that the children, there was a group of children, maybe about a dozen of them, they were in a back room and they were being, you know, babysat or whatever. And at this church where God was moving so powerfully, they had the means to be able to hear what was going on in the service, the speakers. And I don't remember if they had a TV or something where they could watch it as well. But he walked by and he saw those kids and they were all in there playing with their cars and Barbie dolls or whatever. And he told the people, he said, hey, why don't y'all engage these children? Now, see, this seems so crazy to most churches, right? But when God's moving, he said, why don't you engage these kids and just encourage them to, to worship with the worship band and all that? They started worshiping. The power of God fell. They went out under the power. They began to groan and travail and intercede like the intercessors. And it was so powerful and so intense that the, the people that were in there watching was like, this is out of our control. This is now out of our league. Let's go get the children's pastor, you know. And so they get him, and he said, listen, we need to let pastor know. They went in there. Pastor Kilpatrick, this is on the videos. You can watch it, like, on YouTube. They, everybody was just crying. I mean, these kids, the power of God that was on these kids began to fall in the church. Well, there was this one little girl named Whitney, and her story is on YouTube. You can listen to her tell it. This little girl, 
And one night, the Holy Spirit came upon her real powerful, and she was really weeping and groaning and travailing. And her parents, you know, this is, this is new to them anyway, but they're watching their little daughter just groan and travail and intercede in the Spirit. And she started, she's in, she's in this, this vision, you know, and she started doing like this and pulling people out like this. And so they're watching their little daughter sitting there groaning and travailing, crying, weeping, and doing this. And they're like, what in the world? And the mother said that God spoke to her and said, leave her alone. I'm using her as an intercessor. And so, to make a long story short, she goes up and tells her testimony because it was so powerful. And there was a man, this is the result of this story. You say, okay, can God use little kids? Okay. There was this man, I'm trying to remember his name because they relocated to Pensacola to make that their home church, but he was a total complete heathen he was he i saw his testimony i mean he wake up in the morning do some drugs to get up <laughs> go to bed at night doing some drugs to come back down he, you know just constant alcohol he was just away from god he was just a total heathen well his wife got saved at the revival and she's worshiping and loving jesus and he's calling her why don't you come back home no i want to stay so he's thinking she's in some crazy weird cult or something you know people love to say that every time jesus shows up right anyway so he's thinking i've got to go save my wife from this cult and so he gets in his car and he's speeding down well this bad storm hit and the cops are there and they're telling people don't go this direction it's extremely bad weather it's very dangerous and he told the cops i don't care he said my wife is in some kind of cult down there i'm going down there to rescue her i don't care i'm going to risk it and so and the cop's like, whatever, man. So he takes off. He's driving down the road. He survives. He gets there. And he comes in, and he's ticked. And his wife, I mean, just really ticked that she's in church anyway, and she just, he's very livid. So he goes in there, and he plops down, and she says, listen. She said, if you'll just sit here through this service, you'll listen to the preacher. You'll be respectful and just sit here through the whole thing. She said, I'll leave here, and I won't bother you again. Is that a deal? He said, all right, whatever. You know, so he just sat there just ticked off the whole time just glaring at the preacher well that night y'all know the brownsville revival you've seen typical services that night the altar call comes that charity lady singing run to the mercy seat steve's calling people come down get right with god all these people hundreds of people getting saved this guy's just sitting there like a stoic you know i'm not moving you know can't believe i'm in this stupid place i'm doing this just for her you know and so he's sitting there, he's ticked off, and he, he felt like he paid his dues. You know, so he's like, I've done my part. I sat through the whole thing. I'm out. And he stands up, and he's going to leave. And he runs right into Steve Hill because they're starting to pray for people. And Steve thinks he wants prayer, you know. But the guy does not want anything. But, but Steve's just like, hey, you know, like this, like shake your hand or whatever. The guy started to shake his hand, but the, this is a true story. Everybody there saw it. This guy was hit by the power of God. He was picked up and thrown several feet, hit a wall, melted under the power of God, and was gone, okay? His wife just starts crying. She sees this. She's like, that had to be God Almighty right there, okay? Because he would have never. And so he's down there, and she's watching. He had an encounter with Jesus. This is a Saul of Tarsus. This is exactly what happened to Paul, isn't it? He's riding down the road on his donkey. 
bent on killing Christians, and then Jesus showed up and slammed him. He thrown to the ground and has a vision of Jesus, right? That's what happened to the Apostle Paul. All right, well, this is pretty much what happened to this guy. He had an encounter with the Lord. He gets up out of this. He's a totally different person now. I mean, he got saved for real down there. I mean, I'm pretty sure that was a pretty radical experience, right? So after that, he starts feeling, he doesn't know anybody there, but he starts seeing that little girl that was praying that night, remember, pulling people. He kept seeing her, and he kept feeling in his heart drawn to her like there was something about that little girl. And he's like, oh, this is weird, you know. And, and, but he kept, every time he'd see her, he's like, there's something about that little girl. I don't know what it is, but I keep feeling drawn to that little girl. There's something about her. And he saw her testimony when it aired, and he realized I was one of the ones that she was praying and pulling me out. And he said this, he said, I believe that if that little girl hadn't interceded for me that night, he said, what's the odds that I would drive from another state and end up here tonight and get blasted like that? He said, Some, that doesn't just happen. Somebody prayed. But anyway, back to my point. You get these humanistic, atheist, agnostic people. But let me tell you something. If intercessors will pray, God can break through the hardest of hearts. Amen? All right, number two, the religious seduction. People that are content with religion without any relationship or repentance. Let me say that again. There are some people out there that are content with religion, but they don't want a relationship with Jesus, and they don't want to repent and get things right with God. Matthew 7, 21 describes these people. It says, Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only he who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Many, everybody say many, will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name. We cast out demons in your name. We performed miracles in your name. We did all these works for you. And Jesus is going to say to them, I never knew you, Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness. Now, I want you to notice those two things. I never knew you. The word in Greek, knew there, is a word that represents intimacy with God. You had a relationship. You knew him. And people say, oh, I know Jesus. Okay, well, what's he been speaking to you lately? If you say you really know him, and the Bible says my sheep know my voice, and they follow me, and those are sons of God are led by the Spirit. And you get all these scriptures about relationship. If you really know him, then what has he been speaking to you lately? I can answer that question. And then number two, he said, depart from you, you who practice lawlessness. Meaning that they refused to obey him. Jesus said, those that truly love me will obey me. There's some people that say, oh, I'm a Christian. Yeah, well, their life doesn't reflect it. They're out sleeping around, having sex outside of marriage, getting drunk, getting high, partying, living in sin, but then they want to go to church call themselves a Christian. It doesn't work that way. Here they are right here. On that day, Jesus will say, I never knew you. Depart from me, you who practice lawlessness, and they'll be thrown into hell. It's right there. Listen, Christianity is not really a religion. It's a relationship with God. There's a big difference. It's a relationship, and also there is repentance that will take place. First John, it's not in here, but if you want to write down First John 3, 7 through 10, it says that if the seed of God is in you, you cannot continue 
to live in sin because God's seed is in you. You're different. How many knows when you accept Christ and it's real? When you accept Christ and it's real, you are a new creation. Old things will pass away and all things become new. It doesn't mean that when the egg hatches that you're perfect, but what it does mean is that you can no longer go back from where you came and you're going to follow Jesus to the death and let him sanctify your life and change you. That's what it means. So 2 Timothy 3.5 says that there are people out there that hold on to a form of godliness, but they deny its power. Avoid such men. That's why... Uh, once you experience Book of Acts Christianity, you experience the real Christianity. You've had a taste of revival, if you will. You can never go back to dead religion. You just can't do it. It's miserable. All right, number three, the sinful seduction. There's a deceitfulness of sin. And if people aren't careful, the Bible says they will be given over to a reprobate mind over time. Hebrews 3.13 says that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. Let me tell you something. <clears throat> people will start down a road of sin, and the Holy Spirit will convict them, and if they don't respond and they keep living in sin, they're hardening their heart to the Holy Spirit. He'll keep convicting them, but they harden themselves more. They keep, he keeps convicting them, but they harden themselves more. Pretty soon, they don't ever feel his conviction anymore because they've hardened their heart to where they don't even feel his existence. That's why in 1 Timothy 4, 1, it goes on to say, after giving themselves over to seducing spirits and doctrines of demons, it says that they have a conscience that's been seared. How many of you guys have ever seared steak or something? You get the grill really hot, throw the steak on there, it sears it, flip it over, sear it on the other side. Some people have seared themselves because they resist the Holy Spirit. All right, let me read you Romans 1.18. It says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness. Because that which is known about God is evident within them, for God made it evident to them. You know what that saying there is? We all have a conscience. Amen? We all have a conscience. We're all born with a conscience. We know right from wrong. And it says this, because that which is known about God is evident within them. Then verse 20, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes, his eternal power and divine nature has been clearly seen, being understood through what has been made so that we're without excuse. You know what that means? You can look in the sun, moon, and stars and realize there has to be a God. You can look at the trees and you realize there has to be a God. He said that it's clearly there and we're without excuse because creation itself speaks that there is a God. Verse 21, even though they knew God, now that's concerning, they did not honor him as God or give thanks, but they became futile in their speculations. And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing to be wise, they became fools and exchanged their glory of the incorruptible God for an image in the form of corruptible man and of birds and four-footed animals and crawling creatures. In other words, he's saying that they once worshiped God and now they're worshiping idols. How foolish. Verse 24, therefore God gave them over. This is what you don't ever want said about you, and I'm being dead serious. 
You never want it to be said about you that you've been given over. You want, how many knows we want Jesus still working on us? We want the Holy Spirit. Listen, if the Holy Spirit came in here tonight and convicted me or convicted you, we should be so thankful for his conviction. What would life be like if God had just given somebody over? It says in verse 24, God gave them over to their lust of their hearts to impurity so that their bodies would be dishonored among them. For they exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator. Talking about idols who is blessed forever. For this reason, God gave them over to degrading passions, women exchanging their natural function for that which is unnatural. Talking about lesbian activity. And in the same way, also men abandoned their natural function of the woman and burned in their desire toward one another. Men with men committing indecent acts and receiving in their own person, in their own body, their due penalty of their error. Verse 28, and just as they did not see fit to acknowledge God any longer, God gave them over to a depraved mind or a reprobate mind to do those things which are not proper being filled with all unrighteousness, wickedness, greed. See, some people are too caught up with money. Evil, full of envy, murder, hatred in the heart is murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossips. They are slanderers. That's running people down behind their back, speaking evil. Haters of God, insolent, arrogant, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents those that are still being raised by parents you need to pay attention to that honor your parents without understanding untrustworthy unloving unmerciful and although they know the ordinances of god in other words they know that it's wrong they're without excuse that those who practice such things are worthy of death they not only do the same but also give hearty approval to those who practice them you know, and that's really grieved me recently with this, you know, transgender stuff that the world is applauding it. Listen, I love those people because this may go out there. I know there's going to be a rise of persecution of Christians. This may get out there. We love those people. We pray for those people. We earnestly love them. They're welcome to come here and get saved. You know, I'll pray for them. If they need help, I'm here to pray for them. We love them. We don't condemn or judge them, but it's sin what they're doing. And if they don't repent, just like any other sinner, they're going to be in hell. And here the world stands back applauding it. Oh, you're a hero. You're so brave. Look at you. That's exactly what the Bible said right here. Not only do they do these things, but they give their hearty approval of others who do it. So the deceitfulness of sin. The deceitfulness of sin is this. That some people begin to compromise in sin, and they know it's wrong, but they ignore that, and pretty soon they deceive themselves into justifying it. How many people out there have you talked to over the years, those of you that witnessed, that they're living in sin, but when you talk to them, they go, yeah, but, well, I've, and they start explaining how it's okay. It's not okay, but yet they've deceived themselves that it's okay. That's the deceitfulness of sin, that somehow they got deceived into thinking that they can live that way, and in the end, it's going to be okay. God understands. He really doesn't. Verse 4, the hypocritical seduction, those that are playing games with God. So in the Bible, hypocrisy is two-faced. That's how it's translated. People, how many of you guys have known people that are one way to your face? (laughs) 
but they're a whole nother way behind your back. They're a two-faced hypocrite, right? All right, well, the same thing in Christianity. There's people that go to church and they put on their church mask. <laughs> and they're so holy. I mean, you know, they can just worship with the best. And but yet when they leave out, that mask comes off and, and they put on another mask of what they really are. That's, that's a hypocrite. One who's not living the life and not really doing what the Bible says. Matthew 23, 2, Jesus really rebuked the religious leaders of that day a lot more sternly than he ever rebuked any other sinner. Am I telling the truth, guys? Y'all have read the scriptures? Jesus told the adulterous woman, you know, go and sin no more. He told the guy to pick up his mat and then told him, don't go sin any longer. Something worse, worse will come on you. Go and sin no more. I mean, he told him that. But whenever he was talking to the religious crowd, people that should have knew better, this was the language he used. He said, the Pharisees and scribes have seated themselves in the chair of Moses. Therefore, all that they tell you do and observe, but do not do according to their deeds, for they say things and do not do them. And then Jesus goes on this sermon that, I mean, ripped them to shreds. You ought to read it. I mean, he basically over and over told them, woe to you, Pharisees and scribes, you blind guides, you hypocrites. And that's the thing. The Lord is looking for not just lip service, but he wants us to repent of things. And true Christians love that because you want to please Jesus and you want everything to be right. Amen. So that's the thing. Don't allow the hypocrisy. I'm grieved because in this area, I grew up in this area. As a matter of fact, I live back east. And when I was growing up, it was so inundated that people just called themselves a Christian because that was the cultural thing to do but they didn't live the life. So, I mean, everybody did that. That's the way it was with me too. But once I really truly came to know the Lord, as I became an adult, um, man, you just can't do that. Amen. I mean, once you really come to Jesus, you realize, wait a second, I can no longer live in any type of hypocrisy. There's got to be a full on going after God with all my heart. All right. Number five, the backslidden seduction or the prodigals. Luke 15, 14. There are some people that they've gone to church, they've known the Lord, they were raised in church, they've, they're very religious in a sense, but they're total heathen, and they're out there now living for the devil. They grew up in church. How many people out there today, tonight, Saturday night, how many people out there tonight are getting drunk in bars right now and going to be having sex outside of marriage? that grew up in church and they know the truth Luke 15 14 now when he had spent everything a famine occurred this is the prodigal son and he began to be impoverished you guys remember the story he wanted his whole inheritance he went out and squandered it so he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country and sent him into fields to feed swine now that's about as low as you can go right there okay and he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods that the swine were eating had no one given him anything to, to eat you know but when he came to his senses he said how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread but here i am dying with hunger i will get up and go to my father and say father i've sinned against heaven and in your sight i'm no longer worthy to be called your son just make me one of your hired men and he returned back to the father but that's and when he came back the father ran out and greeted him that's the heart of god for these people if they'll come back but see, the thing is, people have backslidden, 
the backslidden seduction, the prodigals, they're away from God, they're living in sin. And I've seen, I've been out there on the streets witnessing just like you guys do. Remember back in the 90s, I used to go down to Deep Elm and do a lot of witnessing there. Back then it was, I mean, there was thousands and thousands of people out there partying and it was a, it was a good place to witness as long as you had a couple people with you. Okay, it wasn't the safest place to be, but, but anyway, we, we did a lot of witnessing. I remember this one guy coming out of a bar and he was so drunk, he was just tripping over himself. I was like, hey, man, I started talking to him, and he's just sitting there just drunk, you know, slurring his speech, and he started quoting the Bible. And let me tell you, he quoted a large passage of Scripture perfectly. And I'm sitting there, and I, and I was nice about it, but at the end of it, I just told him, I said, do you really think just because you have that memorized, that's going to save you? You know? I mean, it doesn't work that way, man. And I, I was real nice. People talked to people, and it, but I'll tell you, there were so many people that grew up in church, and, but they're backslid away from God. If they were to die that night, he'd burn in hell, you know? He knows the truth. But we need to be praying for him. God can break through that, amen? All right, ver, or number six says the compromise seduction. Oh, man. Keeping your convictions. Now, y'all please hear me about this because River of Life, I believe God is a high calling on River of Life. I really do. I believe God's wanting to use you in, in a revival that is coming, and there's a high calling. But we cannot compromise because God will not use people that will not keep their godly convictions. He'll use somebody else. And 1 Thessalonians 5.19 says, Do not quench the spirit, and that can be translated, put out the spirit's fire. How many times in a, in a meeting, especially full gospel meetings, has the Holy Spirit started to come in in great power, and then people got up and said, All right, we're going to go to the next thing. They just quenched the spirit. Ephesians 4.30 says, do not grieve the Holy Spirit. Did you know you can grieve the Holy Spirit? And it talks about, in, you know, when it's talking about grieving the Holy Spirit, if you read all this, it says in there about foul language and other things. These things grieve the Holy Spirit. So there's things, River of Life, those that are going to be used in revival, seeing people saved on the streets, seeing people healed on the streets like you guys have seen, seeing people delivered like we've seen, seeing God come into place so powerfully, the Lord is going to set higher standards. And I'm going to tell you, we've got to hang on to these godly convictions. I'm really upset and grieved because back during the 90s when the Spirit of God was moving so powerfully at Toronto, Brownsville, Smith, and other places, there was this wave of a major revival that hit. Hit America. Um, millions of people. There were 4 million people that went through that Brownsville church from all over the world. There were also 4 million people that went through Toronto's church. I mean, it was just major wave of revival. And there were people that were convicted at that time and some friends of mine. But now, all these years later, some of them are watching movies they would have never watched back then. They're drinking and they would have never drank back then. They're using language they never would have used back then. They're allowing things to go on they wouldn't have allowed back then. And they're participating in things they wouldn't have participated in. And I'm going to tell you, it grieves me, but more than that, it grieves the Holy Spirit because they did not hang on to their godly convictions. 
I remember hearing, you know, God's used Rodney Howard Brown so powerfully, but, you know, I remember him saying he, he went to, this wasn't all that long ago. Somebody told him about some movie. He went to some movie. But when it started going and all this junk is, he said, I, I can't do this. And he left. I can't expose myself to this stuff. He has godly convictions about those things. Amen? And that's why the anointing is so strong on his life. So I'm going to tell you guys, guard yourself. Guard yourself. There's so much out there. Don't let your eyes be gazing upon the nudity and the sex that's going on out there, okay? Don't let your ears be listening to the filth out there, okay? That's why there's a button on the TV remote, amen? And the music out there, the filth, I mean, some of it, you know, there's always some good music somewhere, but there's a lot of filth, isn't there? You know? So if you want to be used really powerfully of God, you've got to have godly convictions. Don't allow things in your life that's going to grieve the Holy Spirit. All right, the next seduction is this, the lukewarm seduction. This is the one I wanted to get to with River of Life that I'm concerned about tonight. Those that allow the fire to die down. See, here in River of Life, I believe that most, of, most people that you know, come to River of Life on a regular basis, not only do you know the Lord, you don't care about religion, you want relationship, and for the most part, as far as I know, people are not living in unrepentant sin or hypocrisy. And hopefully, you're not compromising any convictions. But this is what I'm concerned about, is the lukewarm. Remember how I opened this sermon? My pastor friend was telling me he really felt there was a, like a seducing spirit in this region over the churches to keep them lukewarm and asleep spiritually, asleep. You know, asleep in the scriptures has to do with prayerlessness. But to keep them in a place of being lukewarm. And I opened this series, uh, or this sermon rather, talking about this. Remember those people I was saying were trained to infiltrate churches? I was reading this book from that lady I was telling you about. And she said in her book, now please hear this. She said that she was taught as a Satanist that Satan wanted every Christian church to be lukewarm spiritually just like it says in the Bible about the Laodicean church did y'all hear that this was this was taught to a witch by another witch that that's that was they said this is what Satan wants every church to be lukewarm and dead spiritually why I'll tell you why because they're no threat to the devil a lukewarm church is a church that's not winning souls a lukewarm church is a church with no real power in it. People come in sick, they leave sick. People come in demonized and oppressed, they leave demonized and oppressed. They don't get delivered. What they'll do is they just refer them to a local psych you know, psychiatrist and to a local doctor and to this and that and the other. It's a referral agency. There's no power to deal with these things. But God wants us to be a powerful church. Amen. And how many of you guys have seen, just in River of Life, I'm sure in many other places, how many of you guys have seen with your eyes people deliver from the demonic realm? Come on. You've seen the power of God come in. You've seen people healed of things, haven't you? Why? Because God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Book of Acts, Christianity. God hasn't changed. The church world out there is what's changed. But the lukewarm seduction is this. People start feeling that they're okay when they're not. It's subtle. 
Sometimes we can't even see things the way they really are, and the Holy Spirit has to reveal it. There's a seducing spirit over a lot of churches, and it's putting out the fire in people. If it's not discerned, people go on being lukewarm. Pretty soon they are compromising. Here's the thing. When people get lukewarm, the next thing after that is then they start compromising their convictions. Then they stop praying like they used to. They get casual in their church attendance. They're no longer burdened for souls anymore, and they're certainly not desperate for more of God. So see, Satan's number one strategy is just to get people lukewarm because once they're that way, then a lot of other things can gradually start happening. A lot of compromise and backsliding can start happening. So we know that this can go on and on, but we have to live like Jesus is coming tomorrow. Did y'all hear me? We know this can go on and on, but we have to live our lives like he's coming tomorrow. What would you and I do today if we knew Jesus really was coming tomorrow? I know this, we wouldn't be living in any sin. And I know this, we would be thinking about, you won't be thinking about the next stupid movie coming out. What you're going to be thinking about is, man, eternity. What can I do that's going to matter in heaven? Soul winning, things that, that are about the kingdom of God, that your whole mindset would change. It would, it would leave the worldly mindset and become an eternal mindset. That's the way the Lord, I believe, wants us to live. You know what's scary? I was reading this. I've, I've talked a lot about Sinai, remember? The, the God came down on Mount Sinai, gave him the law, and this powerful fire appeared, the blast of the shofar. This says they saw the sound, I guess the sound waves. This is radical earthquake. This move of God, some of them went up there. It says they ate and drank and saw God. It says it in the Bible. They had this powerful encounter. And did you know it wasn't days later, not months, days later, that they're dancing around that golden calf? Hello? How many people have gone to church and been touched by God so powerfully, and it's not even days later that they're back in their stuff? I mean, think about that for a minute. That'd be like fire coming in here that you actually saw. And I mean, this shaking and God really coming in this place in a radical way. And then you're going out and a few days later, you're dancing around a, an idol. Unbelievable. Revelation 3.16. So because you are lukewarm, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you, and that word is vomit in the Greek. I will vomit you out of my mouth. Here's the deception because you say, here's the lukewarm people. Here's the cry of the lukewarm people right here. You ready? They say, I'm rich, I'm wealthy, I'm in need of nothing. In other words, I'm fine. But Jesus says, you do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. And I advise you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you can become rich with white garments to clothe you. And cover your shameful nakedness and eye salve to anoint your eyes, the anointing in the eyes. That right there is the deception. The lukewarm crowd gets so deceived that they feel like they're fine like they are. And it takes somebody to kind of wake them up. It's like a, a wet, cold rag, you know, across the face. You just kind of snap them out of that. Like, hello, you're not fine. You know how many people I've talked to? I've talked to people that have come to River of Life not here tonight, but people that over the years, and they were really on fire for God. I mean, they really got hit by the power of God. They'd be laughing, crying on the floor, whatever. Pretty soon, they're lukewarm. 
See, it's got to go from just being an emotional thing down into your spirit, and it's got to be an encounter thing. And they're, they're lukewarm for sure, and I'd be trying to talk to them in a loving way about it, like, hey, you know, things aren't really going good. And almost every time, they're, they're like, well, I'm okay. Everything's fine. <laughs> I'm, I'm rich and in need of nothing. You know, and it's like I want to tell them, but you know, it's like if I read this to them, they'll get mad at me, right? You know, but well, the Bible says here, wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. You know, (laughs) but I don't think they'd receive that very well. But that's what the scriptures say, and I'm concerned because I don't want what my pastor friend was telling me, there's this seducing spirit over the churches, putting them asleep, lukewarmness. That's rampant. How many guys would agree with that statement that lived here? Yeah, that's absolutely rampant. You have to drive pretty far to not see that. But here's the thing. I don't want it to happen to you guys. So be aware of that in this region. And this is what the Bible says, Second Timothy 1.6. For this reason, I remind you, to kindle afresh, stir up, fan into flame the gift of God that's in you through the laying on of my hands. So there's a fire in you. You guys remember Leonard Ravenhill saying, you know, God will ignite a fire in you, but he said, God's not going to die in you. If the fire died, it wasn't God. Okay? So what that saying there is about kindling that, how many of you guys have ever been camping? Okay, how many of you guys have never been camping in your whole life? You've never made a fire. All right, everybody's. Okay, some of you say I've never been camping, but I know the youth group, I know that you guys have had s'mores on that fire pit. I know that. All right. So think about the fire pit. Think about the fire. So you've got the fire. You've, you've got the wood, and the fire's burning. And then somewhere in the night, you know, you notice that you kind of wake up. Man, it's cold. And you look out there and the fire has gone down and it's barely there. So what do you got to do? Get your metal poker, whatever you got. You got to go in there. You got to start stirring that thing up, put some fresh wood on it, blow on it, and the fire gets built back up. That's what Paul's saying here is that I remind you to stir up. There's an ember. There's something in you through the laying on of hands. There's a fire in you and you need to stir that back up. That's why I tell the intercessors sometimes when we're praying, stir it up. Stir up what's in you. Some of you that are called to be doing street evangelism, to stir up that gift that's in you through the laying on of hands, okay? So there's, there's, and my question is this. Every one of you in River of Life, you have a destiny. You have a purpose. You're, God's wanting to use you. But think about it for a minute. I'll, I'll ask it the other way than what I normally would, but how many people know for absolute, positive, certain, you know for sure what you're called to do? Okay, there's about half. That's what I always... Okay, here's the thing about that. People that know for sure what they're called to do, there's like a focus. There's a drive there because they feel like, man, I've got purpose. But you do have a destiny. You do have purpose. God is wanting to use you. You need to know what that is. You need to find that out and begin to focus in on being used of God in that area. Some of you, it may be music and praise and worship or something else. But let God begin to show you what that is because when you have vision and you have a 
some kind of direction in your life, there's a, there's a fire about that. There's a passion about that. And let me say this too. If you want to stay on fire for God, you've got to keep the sin out of your life. The sin, will, it will separate you from God and put out the fire quick. You've got to keep a strong prayer life. You need to stay in the Word. You also need to be faithful to church, and you need to hang around on fire people. Did y'all hear me? You know, I remember this, this guy saying one time he had a, there were some people in his church that had some others over, and the, the whole time they were just running down the preacher and running down the church and blah, 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 you know. And they said after those people left, they said, man, we felt just dirty, nasty. And so they go to their pastor and say, well, what, what should we do? And he said, well, I'll tell you what I would do. He said, don't have them back. disassociate yourself with filth amen disassociate with them keep yourself pure before god holy Whew. all right what i want to do tonight for river of life god is really breathing in a fresh touch from him and i've been sensing this week just something new brina can you help her because i want to i want to play the ipod here in a moment but i'll tell you when but i want us to pray for people tonight I felt the Lord speak to me, if y'all could please hear this, I felt the Lord speak to me, that he's really wanting to release, that's why I had this, it's not the best audio quality, because back in the 90s, you know, with these services and things, it's not, but anyway, these are clips from that time during that revival, and I felt like the Lord is wanting to breathe like just a fresh anointing into this place, connected to Brownsville. You know what's interesting? I have felt that stirring back up. Maybe that's like something with me, God stirring back up, because that's my roots, you know, is the Brownsville thing, just stirring it back up. But I have felt it's interesting to me because as that's been kind of stirred back up in me, you know, I had other people, like Brianna's reading a book from Brownsville. Pastor Stevens with Richard Crisco reading some stuff there. Sarah wanted to read some stuff from Brownsville. You bought a book as well. And there's others, it's like they're feeling, what you're doing is you're sensing something there that God is stirring up. And I feel like God's wanting to release that tonight. So listen, as we pray tonight, if the Lord does touch you and you do fall under the power, let me encourage you to soak in the presence of God. So many people, they, they get touched by God and then they jump up real fast and just want to go do something else. Let me encourage you to just rest in his presence. Just soak in his presence. Let him saturate you with his presence. That's God's operating table. How many times have I had people tell me they get up off the carpet after a while and they're like, I'm different. God healed me of something. God delivered me of something. I, God touched my life. I feel different. I'm a, a different person. The thing is, that's God's operating table. That's where he's doing a deep work in you. See, we need the word of God like I preached tonight, but we also need the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit, the Bible says that when he comes, he will do a sanctifying work in us. It says about Jesus, he would baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And that's why I believe is coming tonight, a new baptism of fire. We need a fire in us in these last days. The warning is don't become lukewarm like the Laodicean church. The warning is about the parable of the, the foolish virgins, remember? Matthew 25. Some of them didn't have extra oil. We need that extra oil. We need that fire, that passion. And that's why the young people, you got some young people here tonight, but how many young people have come?
that have been so touched by the power of God. And they love God's presence. You know why? Because they maybe have gone to other churches and they sit there bored out of their mind. And it is boring. I've been to churches where it's boring, boring. Man, my back hurt. I've sitting there just like, when are we going to get out of here? But whenever Jesus shows up, and I'm a preacher, when Jesus shows up, everything changes. And that's why young people, listen, they're excited at coming tonight for the first time.